This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to the DTV Digest. We bring you the films which didn't make it to the cinema and instead went to DVD, Blu-ray and streaming media. And this week we'll be looking at the Hammer-esque Village in the Woods, the Stalker serial killer-esque Bloodline and the Hitchcockian Greenlight. On top of that we'll also have the short shot which this week is the World War II um, set uh, the code, and we're going to round off with the PM Entertainment classic in our DTV throwback, The Sweeper. Okay, so our first review, um, just to let you know that Richard Hawes is here, I just forgot to introduce him. Richard, Hello, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. What a stressful evening this is. Um, yes, yeah, so our first review tonight is The Village in the Woods. In this one, a young couple are trying to run a scam to inherit a pub situated in a small village in the middle of a deep, misty forest. Having to battle their own nerves about being discovered and trying to eke out an existence in the middle of nowhere, the pair do not appreciate just how bad their situation actually is and that the seemingly friendly locals have a sinister plan for these newcomers. Rich, I'm going to throw this straight over to you. How did you find the village in the woods? Well, I had my reservations at the start because it's a very low-budget production, uh, and it's uh, it's kind of starts out with a, a couple. Uh, I believe they break down in their car or on the way to. Uh, we, we're not sure where they're going at, at the start, if I recall correctly, and um, the, there's some tensions building already. Uh, the car just won't start. They're sleeping in the car, and, that, and then they end up walking to find petrol. Uh, or whatever, and they get to the village. Uh, you don't see much of the village. It's pretty much just sort of focused around the public house, which mm. is called the harbour. Uh, and the, the original title of the film was Harbour, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, and the and they start to encounter the locals, uh, played by I think it's only like a handful uh, of locals, but they're very odd individuals. Uh, and you can just sense immediately that something's not right, uh, and the the spooky atmosphere it, with the you know all the mist, you know bathing everything, it, it just sort of sets a real tone. Uh, and what unfolds is an old style occult tale uh, that I guess is the kind of film you don't see a lot of these days. I mean, you see a lot of ghost stories, mm. but I think this kind of Wicker Man inflected kind of story is is more unusual and, and i think that made it quite interesting yeah i mean the, the wicker man is certainly a touchstone for this um with its you know it, it's um very much rooted in sort of paganism um mm. within this sort of village um there's a really good flashback sequence where we sort of find out the fate of um, a, another young woman sort of um you know a few years previously which is actually really atmospheric um but yeah, as you say, we only really meet about four local. I think five, if you include the sort of the madman or the, the guy who keeps yelling at them, who lives on the edge of the village. Um, he, he's, he, everyone else is like really, really welcoming and so, oh yeah, we know, glad to hear, and like glad to have some young blood in the village and all that sort of stuff. But there's, uh, there's um, one particular guy who 
you know, he's just like throwing vitriol at them all the time and telling them to get off my land. Um, but you find out later on that he's got a sort of solid reason for it. But it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a horror film, I suppose, if he just came out and told them why he didn't want them to be there. Which is, is that uh, the one is living? Is that the one is living in the pub? He's uh, kind of yes. in that locked room kind yes. of area, and they can't. They're saying, "Oh, he's he's like a he moved in, and we can't get him out of the place and mm. stuff." And, and yeah, I quite like the dynamic between the couple. You know, that mm. it, it becomes clear that they're not who they're saying they are, and that it's a scheme. And you know, the 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 pressure that puts on their relationship because they're you know they are hard up. They are sort of seeing this as their their chance, and they're going to sort of you know try and take it. And the the husband's really sort of gung ho for it, and the the wife is. I I'm not even sure if they're married actually, but the the the, the uh, she's very very unsettled by a lot of what's happening. Understandably so, because you know there's a lot of really yeah. creepy stuff happening, and he kind of. He kind of becomes sort of blind to it. It's like, yeah, they're a bit weird, but it's okay. Even even when people are like grimacing you know, in, the, in the most bizarre ways. <laughs> it, yeah, it takes a long time for the penny to drop for him, basically. Yeah, right, you're, and you're right. And I think a, a part of it as well is the fact that you know um, there's a, a scene earlier on at the pub, and you know the, the, she's having to impersonate another young woman called Rebecca who had left the village when she was about five years old or something. Yeah. And it's like everyone knows that she's not Rebecca, but they're not saying it. But, but yeah. you know, it, all the comments are like, oh, you look so different to when you left. Oh, you must remember me and all this sort of stuff, you know. And then she's yeah. sort of saying, well, there's, there's that guy, the, um, the, the sort of the, not the landlord, the sort of, you know, the lord of the manor kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's, she's sort of saying he, he, it, it was almost as if he was looking right through me. I'm sure he knows I'm not who I say I am. And thinking, yeah, he, he probably was looking right through you, but not for the reason you thought. <laughs> you know, he, he had a different reason to be staring at you completely, which was um, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I found this to be very slow paced, unfortunately. And because of the locations, you know, at times it looked, the, 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 the um, picture quality looks very washed out because of, because of the mist and everything. So it, it mm-hmm. does sort of hide a lot of the colour. Um, but I did like the, as I said, I like that flashback sequence, which sort of kind of it gives the game away a bit. Um, admittedly, sort of about three quarters of the way in, um, and the ending is sort of quite. It's, it's interesting. There's a, there's a line of dialogue at the end where, where one of the women sort of says something like, oh, it's going to be a long night. And I think, I think oh, that's a really icky thing to say in, in given the circumstances. Um, but, you, you know, you're obviously sort of reveling in the fact that, haha, you know, we're on top sort of thing. But, yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's an interesting film. Um, but I think it does take a bit of patience from the viewer um, to sort of really get into it. Yeah, I think you definitely have to approach it in the right mindset. The uh, If you go in knowing that it's, you know, a very low budget independent production with, you know, where they've really had not a lot to work with. Uh, and I think they, I think they did well 
because uh, because this one this won't be the only kind of film we talk about that that's, that's in this sort of budget range yeah. today. Um, but the um, yeah, I like I say it was quite novel. It's a different it's a different kind of British horror movie because we, we just see so many of them. It seems you know it's not found footage. It's it's not sort a stalk and slash. It's trying to evoke like the 1970s. There's a strong sort of Rosemary's Baby kind of flavor to it. Uh, I like the um, you know they they build those little dolls that are hanging from the oh yeah 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 so, hanging from one of the rooms. Because I, I thought that, that was one of the best things. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's yeah that helps sort of you know evoke the sort of Wiccan slash pagan elements. You know the, the yeah the sort of worry dolls kind of thing. They yeah made yeah. of uh, straw and things. So, yeah, that's sort of really really good. I that added some nice sort of production value. Uh, the the locations are authentic, and you know apart from some of the some of the visual effects on the mist and that I think is maybe sort of over egging the pudding a bit. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean the the the, the sort of crazy villagers are, are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the, uh, particularly the uh, uh, the the gentleman and the and the lady who mm-hmm. um, let me see. I'm just trying to see what their names were. Charles, Charles and per- Maddie, I think it was. Yeah. So Richard Hope is Charles and Teresa. Bradley, it's Maddie. Yeah, they were they were really good. Um, I didn't I didn't really love the couple, the main couple. They were a little bit bland. Yeah. But uh, compared to the, those colourful characters, which I suppose to be expected. But uh, yeah, um, good. Uh, I think this is a the feature debut of director Rain McCormick. Yeah. Uh, so he's uh, previously he's done like visual effects. Apparently. Do you remember Brian Singer did Jack the Giant Slayer? Yes. Well, apparently he was the giant, <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in a you know in a sort of a mocap kind of sense, I guess. Uh, but yeah, the, the, that's what his IMDb says, and he's 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 done quite a few. Uh, he's been a you know actor and uh, directed a few shorts and uh, done some cinematography and stuff. So. He's he made this in about 2017, I think. So it's taken it's been quite a long journey for him to get this release, and you know, getting a physical media release is it's is quite, quite a big deal for it. a yeah, yeah. low budget film. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, been put out by Lightbulb uh, Light Film Distribution, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yes. So uh, yeah, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've, I've um, I don't know if I told you this anecdote before. That I was interviewing a director who did a film called For Love or Money, um, which is a sort of you know, not not totally low budget uh, sort of rom com. It's actually quite good, but he was telling me a story that he lost one of his um, um, locations um, towards the end of the shoot because Ridley Scott had taken over this village to do reshoots for All the Money in the World. I'm thinking, all right. and I'm thinking, All the Money in the World came out like three years ago. You know, it's it's taking you three years to finally get a, um, a distribution deal for your movie, and and I think yeah. you know it's it's quite common for you know independent films to mm. um, you know to, to, to successfully completing a film is one thing, you know, getting it on the shelves is uh, is uh, another, you know, and we've seen some really good success stories, you know, like um, the Borley Rectory one, for example, you know, very yeah. low budget, um, but but you know had real lasting. Power, you know, um, in the DTV chart for last year. Yeah. I would certainly say that's a comparable film. If, if if anybody did see that and then you know 
got, you know, enjoyed it, got something out of that, then they would equally enjoy this. One of the things I didn't like about it is that it's, it's about, it's 76 minutes long, which is fine, mm. but they really try and drag out the end credits to make it longer. Uh, so there's like four minutes in a really slow crawl, which is what, which is an old trick that Full Moon Entertainment used to do to, to make their films, uh, have a, you know, if it, it would say 80 minutes, but it wasn't, it was like 75 usually or, or maybe even less. But, uh, <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know why they felt they had to do that, but the, um, cause uh, advertising it as 76 minutes, I suppose, you know. Yeah. Was perhaps not, not appealing for the distributor. I don't know. But yeah, exactly. The, yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe the distributor or the producer had wanted, you know, stipulated an 80 minute cut or something. So yeah, it could, could be something like that, couldn't it? But, uh, uh I'm going to score it six out of 10, Mike. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to join you on a six. It, it's, you know, as, as long as you approach it with caution and, you know, don't expect jump scares or anything like that. This is this is purely about atmosphere and, and a fit, sense of dread all the way through. Um, you know, it's it's slow budget, but don't let that hold you back. It's uh, it's, it's it's interesting and it's got a great ending. Uh, six out of ten from me and Rich. Our next review is Bloodline. Sean William Scott stars as Evan, a social worker at a local high school who is having problems with his young baby, newly born, um, struggling with sleep, uh, his wife who's struggling, um, also his mother who's uh, decided to come in and help out, and his students who are suffering from traumatic experiences with uh, their parents. How is Evan going to deal with all this? Well, it turns out with a sharp edge of a knife. Now, Rich, I, you know me. Um, what is the chief thing I hate about films? What's the one thing? In media res. In media res. How does this film start, Rich? In media res. In media bloody res. It's, it's, it starts out with a great sequence, I, should, I have to admit, as this nurse is stalked through the hospital late at night. Um, and comes to a bloody end. But then it goes, three months earlier, dot, 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 and takes us back three months earlier. I absolutely hate that nonsense. I really do. Um, if your film's not strong enough, you know, to start off with, that you have to sort of like, you have to lift it by nicking a bit from later on in the film, then you really need to sort of work on your narrative, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I'm going to I'm going to digress there. I'm going to digress there slightly. I watched Anna this week, which is constantly shifting all over the place. Ah, <laughs> it's yes, like, you're it's absolutely. Like, it is. It's one time zone, then it's back another few months, then it's forward again, then it's back again. Yeah, but <laughs> drove me out the wall. <laughs> I didn't mind that so much, um, because every when it did jump back, it was feeding you new information, and and I, I suppose you could argue that yes, this scene does feed you different information later on um but i i, I actually liked anna I'll, I'll give anna a pass on you liked it oh, I, 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 we'll talk about anyway, anna another um, time anna, anna, another thing. so um <laughs> so yeah so I, did, I didn't mind the yeah the, the whole setup you know the whole point of doing that was yeah. to give it a big kill for the opening that's the that's the it, only it, reason exactly. to do it it is so it, it sort of sets the tone mm. and gets it going and, and uh, i can forgive it for that uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was not on board with this film for a long stretch of it. The, you know, the whole home life thing, it 
drove me up the way as it as it was meant to. The whole thing with the baby crying all the time, you know, the, the domineering mother coming in, um, you know, his his wife sort of you know trying to deal with it all as well. Over, overly anxious wife. Overly anxious, you know, not too happy about the fact that her mother-in-law is coming to stay with them just because she happens to be a little bit handy with crying babies. But anyway, um, it took me a while to get into this. The, the, the scenes where uh, Evan uh, abducts these sort of ne'er-do-wells, um, those were great, I have to say. Um, and the, the bit I, I like about these is that, you know, you got these guys tied to a chair and still mouthing off at him. So he, he, he gives them a little stab in the tummy, just a little stab. Just to sort of mm. shut them up and make them realise that. Yeah, show them he's show them he's serious. He's serious, and they're in deep shit, basically. Um, which, which is again, it's something you don't see. You know, it's it's a nice little touch. It's just a you know you, you motherfucker and all the rest of it. You know, you, and you beating up on an old man or whatever or drunk, and, and you know you think you're a big shot and all this sort of stuff. And these guys stab, and they go, oh dear, right. Um, so so that I, I really did like in a sort of very macabre way um and you know and the fact that he's a very organized killer as well so 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 those scenes were good and it did sort of slowly build on me um this film to the point that when the we, we got back to the nurse and found out what really that's not that's happened. yeah that's not that's not a uh, go into spoilers i'm, I'm not gonna yeah, no but uh, you know when it when it revisits that scene i, I was more on board I, i'd kind of guessed that element, um, yeah. But through through other flashbacks and things, but yeah, I I, I steadily enjoy this. And of course, you know the um, the police get involved. Um, not everyone appreciates that you know what he's doing, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Um, and and by the end of it, by the final scenes, I, I must admit I was I was pretty much on board with this. Um, I, I I really liked where it ended up. You know, I wasn't happy with the first half, probably the well, let's say the first third of the film. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I overall I, I quite enjoyed this. How about you? Yeah, I, I I like this kind of thing. I mean, this is basically Dexter, mm, yeah, uh, the, the TV series, uh, a variation on that. And you know, I love that show, and I thought this was an interesting take on the same material or same, you know. Same themes, I should say, um, especially in like, so I think it's like Dexter series three or four where he became a father, uh, stuff like that. And he's always about trying to keep the, the psychopathic impulses satisfied, you know, while, um, or, or even suppressed at times. Uh, and in this case, that's what's happened with Evan Cole is he's, he's, that this part of himself is reawakening. The, he seems to have been able to, at least for a short time, have left it behind and to settle to a family life. But you can't, you just can't keep those things in. I think there's a, these films, or, you know, like this is, it's all about, you can't really change who you are. Hmm. It's like you, you can put yourself in a different, you know, domestic kind of situation, but the way you, the way you are and what you're driven to do, will always surface uh, and, and I think that's quite you know whether that's creatively or you know the, 
you know, you're interested in football, whatever it is, mm. you know, you, you, you'll be driven forward. And he, he's, you know, sort of tried to stay really buttoned down and help these kids and, you know, look after his wife and do the right thing. And when he has, when he's, it's during the birth experience, the, the violence of the birth, mm. you know, witnessing that reawakens, uh, you know, these dormant memories of, you know, violence in the past that yeah. are, you know, a, tr- a trigger for why he does what he does. I think uh, there's hinted, some nice. Yeah, it's, it's hinted that he's he might have been involved in something prior to to marrying his his wife as well. You know, before he's, before he met her, I think the, the the detective sort of hints that you know there's there are some other murders that he may have. Um, yeah, I think very much so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think the what I liked is it's 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 doing its own thing but it's very much tipping its hat to psycho at the same time i mean the opening shower scene <laughs> you know it's a it's a gratuitous it's a it's weird because it's a gratuitous shower scene in a horror movie in a way that you don't see gratuitous shower scenes anymore that's true it's, it's kind true, of yeah. uncomfortable it's kind of un- yeah it's kind of uncomfortably so but the um it it's like it's it's tipping its hat to psycho but not psycho 1 Psycho 2, you know, where, you know, you remember when Psycho 2 came out in, in like the early 80s and it was yeah. like full on knife in the face kind of stuff, mm. <laughs> uh, not really holding back. And that itself also had its kind of twists and turns. And this is, you know, t- this is kind of Hitchcockian in, it, in its own way, uh, sort of not nodding to that and having little twists in the table and yeah. so i i enjoyed that i like the the color schemes it's quite dark and blues and reds and that kind of thing sean william scott who's you know everyone knows him as a comedy performer really stifler from yeah. american pie and all that kind of stuff so seeing him as this very cold character you know doesn't make any jokes doesn't even smile He's very, really, uh, he's, he, really he's very sort of emotionally reserved, isn't he? In, in this one, he's, mm. he's sort of, well, almost to the point of detachment. You know, yes, uh, he, he, you know, he comes across as friendly. To you know, he calls um, one of the students, you know, his, his favourite student buddy, and all that, you know, that sort of thing. But it's, um, but his whole demeanour is just very sort of emotionless, or, or just very calm. You know, yeah, all the, all the time, which is interesting. I mean, he's been doing. Pretty decent work on um, uh, the Lethal Weapon TV series. Because he, yeah, uh, he stepped in when the other guy got yeah. thrown out. Basically, Martin Riggs is no was they got rid of Martin Riggs out of Lethal Weapon, which is weird, and yeah. then uh, acting replaced him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and then they replaced him with him. But now, now that's been cancelled, I think. Now, so I think he was going on for one season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. He's just a stand-in because because they're already set up for season two. Um, but that would be him already playing kind of in even in that show. I'm guessing he was playing pretty loopy and no, actually, sort of well, comedy. Really, no, because I mean a, a little bit, but he he it, it's interesting. They kind of sort of reversed it so that um, um, Marlon Wayans' character was now Damon the crazy Wayans. one. So, which one? Yeah. Damon. Damon. Sorry, Damon Wayans, not Marlon. Yeah, yeah um, he's now the sort of more crazy one. And, right. Okay. Um, in, whereas he's sort of more calm and collected, you know. But anyway, so yeah, so so yeah, it was a good performance by him for sure. Um, yeah, the the other actors are pretty good. I like Chris, the um, the you know the young guy who keep who 
he's his, you know his favourite student sort of thing. He's he's an honour student. He's you know got a chance of getting a scholarship and all this sort of stuff. And he's worried about his mum. Um, and then his dad turns up and starts beating everyone up again. So yeah, he he was pretty cool in that one. Um, yeah, the three scummy guys that end up getting the short <laughs> the short end of the uh, the kitchen knife. Um, we're all sort of well done, well portrayed as sort of these sort of scummy guys. Yeah, it's um, I, I really enjoyed it. In the end, it, it it took me a long time to get on board. I must admit, you know, I was, I was skipping scenes early on. Um, but but yeah, by the time that sort of third of the way in, I, I was on board, and and I really did like the ending. Have you ever seen Mr. Brooks? Is that the um, the Kevin Costner one? Yes. No. So that's the other one that sort of the shadow looms uh, is because that's the one where Ke- Kevin Costner is uh, an upstanding businessman hmm. who is actually a serial killer on the side. Though. So the if, if you enjoyed, I would say if anybody enjoyed uh, Mr. Brooks or Dexter, hmm. then they're going to like this. Uh, likewise, if they watch this and they haven't seen those other things, then they should watch those as well. Because I think you, you could go either way. I think they're all great. Um, I like them all a lot. I think Mr. Brooks is probably uh, the best out of these two films. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I like this a lot. I'm going to give it a, uh, I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. I think. Well, I'm going to go one lower with a seven. As I said, it took me a while to get get on board with this, but I, I did enjoy it once it got going. So that is a 7 and an 8 for Bloodline. Our next review is Greenlight. In this one, uh, Jack is an aspiring film director desperate to break into making feature films after completing a few well-received shorts. However, he has hit a catch-22 situation. No one will hire him to make a feature until he's made a feature. After a rather humiliating dinner with his girlfriend's parents, Jack is finally thrown a bone by Bob Mosby, a well-known producer working in low-budget horror movies. Jack jumps at the chance to make the film, but during production, Mosby makes a macabre demand, and suddenly, finishing the film is the last thing Jack wants to do. Um, so this has just uh, been released on um, sort of streaming media. It's, it's an interesting one because... I was made aware of it last November and just kind of went, oh, that's nice. You know, good for them, sort of going around the festivals and things. Didn't really pay much attention until I saw a trailer for it. And then I thought, ah, okay, uh, we need to see this soon <laughs> because the trailer was great and the film is even better as far as I'm concerned. Um, I'm, I'm always interested in films which actually are set within the world of filmmaking. And there's been some good examples of that you know, in um, in in the sort of horror genre, uh, there's a really good one called um, Kane Hill, a couple of years ago. Um, there's also um, Starry Eyes, of course, is more about sort of actresses, but it's the same kind of thing. And uh, there's a really good one called The Final Scream, which came out last year um, about a young actress being hired to work on a sort of low budget horror movie. And you know, the one thing I like is the way they sort of blur the lines between sort of the the reality within the film and the, and the fantasy elements, uh, and, and this does it very well, I think. Um, let's um, get some of your thoughts, Rich, before I carry on. Yes, uh, the 
Yeah, I was very... The, the thing that pre- impressed me most of, with the film was it, its uh, cinematography, uh, the way it looks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it it's... it's a, yeah. I mean, this is a, a low-budget film. You can tell it's got a very restricted budget, a bit like what we were saying with uh, Village in the Woods. You know, it's a small cast, limited locations. Uh, in this case, what instead of, like, for example, the harbour pub, in uh, Village of the, in the Woods, the, the, the main location that they use in this is a set. Yeah, uh, studio a, set. A very, yeah, very studio set, um, which is not, you know, there's a couple of bits of it that are quite extravagantly designed, like a staircase and stuff, but for the most part, it's, you know, uh, quite basic, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, but, it all, but it all sort of fits the aesthetic of what's supposed to be a low-budget, film production that he's, he's supposed to be making a film called the sleep experiment mm. uh which is a, a script he's kind of handed for but let's say the um uh the cinematographer is a guy called Paul robinson i mean he's just elevated the film completely from what could be a very you know uh grainy kind of low budget look yeah. to like a very glossy um uh very appealing film which could which could you know, somebody who's not used to watching low-budget films could watch this and they wouldn't realise they're watching yeah, a particularly low-budget exactly. film. No, absolutely. It, it, it looks a lot more expensive than it probably was. Um, yeah, that's the kind of what yeah. I was trying to say. Yeah. Uh, I also think some of the performances, like, uh, especially Chris Browning as mm. Mosby, you know, he's just brilliant. He's just oh. such a commanding presence. I mean, I'm, and that's the point. You know, he's supposed to be this powerful, you know, uh, charismatic uh, character. Who, you know, tries to strike this, you know, uh, bar, you know, Faustian bargain. It is. So, you know, he's, he's, he's very, yeah. he's, this is very much a sort of a, a, a deal with the devil kind of story of, uh, you know, the young director who's l- l- looking for, you know, his big break. Uh, he says he's willing to pay any price, but is he? Yeah, uh, I'm willing to do everything, anything, anything. Yeah. <laughs> What I was put, what it put me in mind of was, uh, like, uh, an anth- like the episode of an anthology series, hmm. like a Twilight Zone or something like that. Sure. It has that kind of, it's slightly, it's, it's a very short film. Uh, it could potentially have been even shorter, but the, yeah, I think that, that's, I think that's why I can't, you know, like Black, I haven't watched Black Mirror, but you know, that kind of hmm. thing where it's kind of a, an hour long kind of narrative story. We don't see a huge amount of it. I mean, the Twilight Zone's just come back now but that's that sort of very simple premise that's explored quite quickly you know they, they don't sort of drag it out a lot you know it's it's i i was probably expecting that more might develop and it it, it really stays fairly straightforward uh, until the conclusion and uh yeah I, I was i was unfortunately i was watching it on my phone which was not the best way to to see it because it's just such a great, great looking film. Uh, and, uh, yeah, highly recommended. Absolutely. The, um, so our main character is, as we said, is a, is, um, he's an aspiring film filmmaker. He has to put up with a lot of shit. Um, not just from other sort of studio execs. Like when we first, when the film opens, it's, it's a Western yeah, that's it's really well. That's yeah. really well done, though. It's really uh, well that, done. That, that yeah, thing, yeah. Uh, that, this thing, and and if, I don't know. Have you have you seen the film The Big Picture that um, Christopher Guest did back in the 
late 80s. Or the no, moment. I always wanted to, but I never managed Kevin to. Bacon. It's, it's a little bit like that, where you know Kevin Bacon's got this idea for a sort of very quiet, sort of like romantic drama with three people stuck in a um, a sh- chalet in the snow, and he has to change it into like about bikini babes playing volleyball or something because you know that's what sells at the moment. And it, it, it's a moment of that where you know this exactly goes. Okay, so it's just a Western then. He goes, oh no, we can change it to a horror movie if you want. And then suddenly cuts back and is like, you know, one of the characters is suddenly a zombie now, which I thought yeah. was quite cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's, it, 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 it does quite well at that. And then, and then there's that scene with the, his girlfriend's parents, which is just excruciating for him. Um, yeah. Because his girlfriend, Chantel, it turns out, um, has written a best-selling novel while she was still at college. Uh, and her parents are sort of very, you know, think think very highly of her, obviously. And it's a case of, well, well, you know, nobody's good enough for my daughter kind of thing. And here's this guy who's mooching off their daughter, you know, for the re- for the rent and things. And, you know, his dad sort of says, what are you working on at the moment? He said, well, I'm a production assistant on the film. He goes, oh, like an intern then. You know? <laughs> and it's like crushingly um, true, unfortunately, you know, the things that he's having to sort of do. Uh, to get his break, but then luckily, during that same meal, he gets the phone call from Mosby, which offers him the um, gets him the interview for the job. Um, so our main character is played by Chase Williamson, um, who I thought did a good job because he has to go through various stages in the film. You know, when, when we first meet him, he's this hungry director. I'll do anything. You know, I'm trying to sort of pitch my heart out, and then once he's got the gig, he, he's sort of trying to be all. You know, sort of leading the team to sort of motivate his cast and crew to make the best film, and you know, having to tell them that, yeah, this is my first feature, but you know, I've got good feelings about this. We're going to do it. It's all really good. And then there's this cast who he's thinking, I didn't choose this cast. You know, they've been sort of thrust upon me. Uh, one of them is um, Mosby's wife for a start, and another one, one of the other main characters. It's his first first feature as well so you know he's a bit unsure about what he's been landed with um but it all goes well you know it's so he's quite happy but then this you know the hammer drops basically and he's given this this sort of ultimatum to do and he goes to he goes to great lengths to try and get out of his situation you know he he tries to dig up dirt on mosby he tries to do um you know sort of like push people away from him so so they're not in danger but Mosby's always this sort of one step ahead of him all the time, you know, and as you say, Chris Browning, he just nails it, this this sort of like, almost sort of, you know, a very Faustian sort of position that he's in, um, so yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it as well, yeah, you're absolutely right about the, the cinematography, um, the, you know, it has sort of like a noir quality with Mosby scenes, a lot of sort of shadow across the face, you know, sort of like um, blinds and things like that. And then the, the film set itself is sort of lit in very sort of lurid colours to sort of like bring, yeah. back me- bring back memories of like Argento and Barber and things like that, which I thought was really cool. And, you know, I, I was sort of on tenterhooks all the way through as to whether or not, you know, how it's going to sort of all tie up. Because I'm, I'm thinking, well, it could go the sort of dark way, or is, is he going to get out of this sort of situation? What's going to happen? So, and, and I was actually quite surprised with, with the, you know, the, the solution. There is one scene I want to just mention, 
uh, when, when he's sort of like looking around Mosby's office or uh, somebody's office and finds a laptop and he starts watching this video clip on there and it seems to be a, a previous director who'd worked with Mosby. Oh, yeah. And it's absolutely brilliant because, you know, this guy is the way he's acting. He's like all jittery. He's like scared. He's like, oh, my God, I think I've uncovered something, you know. And then you see this guy coming up behind him wearing a white mask and a knife. And it's just so brilliantly done, you know, that whole bit. And it, and it, it brings home that whole thing of like, um, you know, what, what's what's real and what isn't within this story. And, and you know, and I think there's an earlier scene as well when um, Jack sort of jumped, you know, the filming a scene of somebody getting stabbed and he reacts as if it was real. It's like, oh, yeah. no, no, it's not, you know, and I'm going, relax, man. It's just a fake dagger sort of thing. So, yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I thought it did a really good job. I thought the script was was really good. You know, it's it's very self-contained. Um, you know, it works within its um, you know its budget limitations, but at the same lots time, of nice, lots of nice little references as well for the yeah, cinephiles. That's it, exactly. And you know, but it doesn't it, it doesn't let you feel like you're watching a low-budget film. You know, at, at any point. No, it, no, not at all. So yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, um, and I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. I'm going to join you on an eight. The only thing I will say is if anyone looks this up, uh, the, the poster doesn't do it justice. Mm. But the poster of a, which is of a director's chair, uh, bathed in sort of, uh, sort of green and red, isn't it? Green, green and red light with a sort of bloody camera on the, on the floor and clapperboard. It's just, it's not a particularly engaging poster mm. that, 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 so, I mean, it tells, it tells you that it's slight. I mean, the, the colors are spot on in terms of how the film looks in, in its aesthetic, but it's, it's not, a, you know, I see that poster and that doesn't make me want to watch the no. film at all, but, but uh, take our recommendation. You know, if you can, if you can find it, uh, yep. it it's, it's, about, it's already uh, been, it's been released in the States and hopefully it's mm. by, by the time you're listening to this, it's finding its way to uh, one of some of the streaming platforms over here. Yeah, so you should be able to pick it up on Apple, iTunes, and Amazon, and things like that eventually. But um, yeah, look out for it. It's called Greenlight. Um, me, me and Rich totally recommend it. Eight out of ten. Our short shot this week is the Code, set during World War Two. This sees three British soldiers on the run behind enemy lines. One of them is injured. Um, they come across a German. Um, airman who's parachuted and broken his leg and they find on him a code um but the the airman won't tell them what it is um unfortunately he's killed before they can get any more information out of him instead the three end up on the run uh trying to outrun um the germans that are following them uh this is um it's it's a low budget world war ii movie um, I was kind of, I, I didn't realise it was just a straight up genre thing. I, I was kind of expecting some sort of sci-fi element or something to jump uh-huh. in. Um, so I was kind of, kind of waiting and waiting and I think, oh, what's this code? What's this code going to be? You know, um, but it turns out it just be a little sort of MacGuffin, um, uh, sort of motivate the soldiers a bit. Um, yeah, it is a MacGuffin. There is, um, you know, a, a nice little mit- bit in the middle when, when they're sort of interrogating the, this uh, German pilot and and what happens around that is, is quite good. Um, there, there's a 
a long sort of flashback sequence um, later on as well, and then it kind of just ends. So, so I was wondering, you know, is this meant to be a chapter in a longer story, or um, proof of concept, or what, Rich? Do you know? Uh, I don't think so. The the director, uh, Patrick Ryder, mm-hmm. he seems to make uh, he, he makes a lot of short films. So I think he's he looks at things uh, like this as like a self-contained right. story, uh, rather than any kind of proof or concept. Really, I don't know how you know because he's made so many of these shorts. You wonder, you know, does he do it? Is he able to do it for a living, or does he do another job and he just keeps making? Because one of the things you're not sure about with short films is how whether anybody's actually able to yeah. make a career of it you know it's, like, it's the same as what we we're talking about with uh with Greenlight. you know he's made lots of short films but he's trying to make a feature mm-hmm. you know he wants to have a career make some money and and that and uh you look at uh patrick Ryder's uh imdb page yep. and he's got like 18 something like 18 yep. 18 short films or something that he's done yeah uh, quite a few of them are on amazon i'm i'm i mean having seen this i'm definitely interested to see more of what he's done because i think you can tell that you know if he'd done this as a, a first time production that would have been really impressive but you can see he's you know he's, he's really honed his craft uh, over quite a long period made quite a number of films and you know this is very professionally made yeah. got a reasonable budget there's uh, some nice nice performances some good uh uh, battle, you know, uh, gun gunfight scenes. He's got some good sort soldier, of uh, in-camera effects and things, which, which help yeah. as well. Um, yeah, and there's like a, a sequence that's a flashback with, uh, uh, you know, a dancehall sequence, yeah. which is really nicely done, which sort of throws you for a while until there's a really nice uh, sort of cap to that scene that brings yeah. you back to the action. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's... there's I thought that was a bit of a, that was quite a risky move, I thought, uh, because that kind of took me out of the story for a bit. But, but then it really paid off at the, at the end, sort of brought me back in. I really liked it. I, yeah, as I said, I was kind of expecting some sort of twist to it, but I, I did like it. The production values are pretty decent. Um, mm. I, I recently watched the film The Great War, which is out on DVD at the moment with um, Ron yeah. Perlman and uh, uh, Billy Zane in, in small roles. Um, and, and it's 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 comparable to that. It's not you know you know it, it's in within the same ballpark as as that. Obviously, the Great War did have more money and, and more people and you know extras and things. But um, yeah, it's 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 not a million miles away from from that sort of level. So you know if if you did like the Great War, then this is um, probably worth checking out as well. Uh, I, yeah. I did like this. I, I like this sort of the, the bit when the captain turns up, um, and you know, the sort of penny drops there. It was quite good. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite enjoyable. Well, the the interesting, I, I on the same page as you was when I was originally watching it. I was expecting it was going to be science fiction or, or something because short films are generally action, horror, or sci-fi. Mm. You, 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 as you know, most of the stuff we covered is so. To see something that's more of a straight wartime drama is quite uh, unusual. I mean, we've we've come across a couple of things that were you know, touched on similar themes, like past 
past and future kings and stuff. But, you know, that was like a full-on Highlander kind of tale. And I, I wondered if this was going to go down that kind of route. But then when, when the guy pulls out that little bit of paper and you realise that's what the code is, yeah, you kind of think, no, actually, this is where we are and this is where we're staying. This mm-hmm. That's what this film is. So um, ha- going in cold, uh, I, I did... The, the experience did potentially suffer a little bit from from those ex, from those you know expectations. Yeah. But if you go in, if you're you know interested in you know wartime stories, mm-hmm. you go in. This is a really good you know somebody who enjoyed like 1917 or something recently, for example, in, or, or even something like The Great War. You know, this is a, a little 20 minute film. You know, you, you, at the end of a long day, you know, you, you haven't got time to sit down and watch a a full-length movie, just, you know, give this a go. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely worth checking out. And, uh, yeah, m- maybe check out some of the uh, Patrick Ryder's other films while you're at it. Our DTV throwback this week is The Sweeper. Uh, the only survivor after his parents and sister were murdered, Mark Goddard grows up to be a cop. Not just any kind of cop, though. The only kind that PM Entertainment is interested in. A renegade cop. The loser's cannon on deck. When he ends up killing his ninth criminal, he is approached by a covert organisation consisting of vigilantes who use their considerable resources to go after criminals seemingly beyond the law. Goddard might be a renegade, but he refuses until they offer information on his family's killers. Now, um, back in the day, Rich, uh, we had Tom Jolliffe. He did a, a beginner's guide to PM Entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um which was a real eye-opener, and I love going through all the trailers and things for those films, you know, all, all the Gary Daniels films and things like that, and the crazy, crazy stunts they came up with. They they, they were a formidable DTV studio, um, and, and this one is a perfect example of the sort of work they were doing. Um, it opens up with an amazing car chase, um, we've got Jeff Fahey playing uh, Goddard's dad in a sort of extended sort of flashback sequence at the beginning, um, and he and his partner end up sort of getting into a fight with these three criminals, and sort of ch- being chased and chasing them down this um, this sort of seafront pier. You know, people having to dive for cover everywhere. Lots of stunts going on. People hanging onto the roof of the car and all this sort of stuff. It was absolutely great. And of course, this is before CGI, mostly. You know, they probably couldn't afford CGI back then. So, so these are all sort of very much in-camera stunts. Um, and then I'll, I'll get onto another bit I want to talk about later on. But it, it, it was, you know, just a great start to this film. Yeah, and that's what PM Entertainment do. They they just they just throw everything at it. I mean, a car chase is kind of their 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 staple, and yeah, you just would not see a film like this made now. I mean, the the kind of action movies you get made now are very gun led and and uh, sometimes sort of martial arts led, but not car, you know, not not vehicular stunts kind of thing, and you get. If you had a car chase, for example, in, let's say, one of these new films that Bruce Willis might turn up in, yeah. you might get that at the end of the movie. You know, you wouldn't get... That would be a climax, this, that's right, yeah, that would be your big climax. This, yeah, this is kind of the equivalent to, you know, when we watched uh, Six Underground mm-hmm. with 
with uh, Ryan Reynolds. In that yeah. movie, he's got like that that te- like fifteen minute car chase sequence, hmm. mega budget thing. Well, this is the equivalent of that, but made you know on a low budget in in Los Angeles and with decent editing. Uh, yeah, and you just <laughs> but they wouldn't do it in a low bu- in a no. low budget film. They do it in a big budget film, but you won't see it in a low budget film for no. various reasons. So you see it in for Fast and the Furious and all that kind of thing. But this film doesn't just give you that one car chase. You get three. Oh. <laughs> now, you, get, you get so much action packed yeah, in this. You get so uh, much. There's, there's the, the, the foot chase, um, which ends up with uh, just an amazing sequence. where um, So Goddard, you know, sees um, Thomas Howell's character. Um, he chases this guy who's, who's like robbing people at ATMs. He chases him onto the roof of this build, tall building gets into a fight with him, somehow manages to wrap um, a cable around the guy's neck and throw him off the building and hang on to him at the same time. So the guy kind of breaks his fall midair and breaks his neck at the same time. And he's left hanging sort of over the street, you know, sort of six stories above the ground. It's, again, it's, you know, that sort of stunt work you just would not see anywhere. You know, it'd be deemed too dangerous or, you know, need loads and loads of wires and things going on. God knows how they did it, really. Well, and that all climaxes with the fight on a plane as it's <laughs> flying through the air. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, hold up. there's a bit I want to talk about before that. Um, yeah. yeah. Around about the midpoint of the film, uh, the Goddard's chasing a guy late at night um, on the freeway, sort of, you know, the big car chase. And mm. the bad guy passes a lorry full of um, like CO2 canisters or oxygen canisters, and he mm. shoots the back of the the lorry. So these canisters start falling off onto the freeway, and then he's reaching around and shooting the canisters so they explode. You know, so there's all mm. these explosions going on on the freeway, which is pr- pretty cool in itself. But then Goddard drives his car to the back of the truck, nudges it. So one of these canisters rolls onto the hood of his car. Then he comes up behind the bad guy, rams the back of his car, so now the canister rolls into the back seat of the bad guy's car, and then he blows it up. I mean, it is just the you know, the car, most cartoonish but brilliantly staged sequence I've seen in a long time. It was just so well done. Um, well, going back, going back to Michael Bay, you know, it's kind of that Bad Boys 2 kind of thing. You know, we... Yeah, this is the, these are the prototypes for those scenes that Michael yeah. Michael Bay does. That's um, right. Yeah, he's been basically binged on PM Entertainment movies, isn't he? Is what he basically did. Yeah, I mean they're t- they're totally practical. I mean that sequence you're talking about with you know think cars exploding or whatever. I mean these guys must have got through so many vehicles. I mean yeah. this is full contact. You know they basically recreated the highway. All the cars are being hit on the way. And smashed up and, and, and you know turning and car flips are like one of their you know staples. Oh, yeah. You know you can't watch a ever since the eighteen when, when it, yeah the eighteen really kicked it off didn't they with the the big car flip you know so, yeah <laughs> but um and then yeah everyone was using car flips and, after that and then exploding through the air and mm, whatever yeah. now <laughs> the 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 action is spectacular now the in terms of the plot and the story it's a bit weak because. It's a film that has stuff happening without a real plot, you know, without a real yeah. through line, without a real, you know, narrative hook. So we get the extended prologue, 
which is just an excuse for the action sequence of you know the the, the pier chase and the jumping from a boat motorcycle onto the car roof and all that sort of stuff, which is amazing. Then we're introduced to see Thomas Howell's character and his his family troubles and he's a bit of a renegade and following him on a couple of cases. It's not until we get to like 35 minutes or so into Mm. the film that the whole uh, approaching him about being part of this sort of vigilante star chamber-ish kind of group is is established. And even once that's established, that's just a case of him being sent on various missions. Now, the film that I'm thinking of right now, as we're talking about this, is Mechanic Resurrection. I think it was Resurrection, wasn't it? The second one with Jason Statham? Yeah. Where where it didn't, it just had him going on missions and doing stuff and it didn't really have a unifying story. (laughs) You know, it's like kind of that's that's sort of a major sort of problem with it, but you know, it, it, I can stick. I stick with that. You know, the action keeps it going. Ed Lauter's really, you know, good as the, you know, basically a variation on the same character who played in Death Wish Three. I think mm. as you know, sort of a cro- crooked or you know untrustworthy, let's say, uh, police uh, yeah. officer uh, who's leading this uh, vigilante group. Um, we get a love interest character introduced. But she's she's only there to sort of provide some sex appeal and, and uh, a shower scene, <laughs> accompanied by saxophone music, exactly. and then before and then she'll disappear from the story. But uh, but yeah, we get the um, uh, you know it's just amazing, you know, all the stuntmen flying all over the place, uh, you know, hanging off buildings, hitting you know being hit by hit, being hit by cars. Oh yeah, you know we've got people in the way, actual you know. Contacts. It's just it's just amazing. Get people, men on fire, all sort. Every single stunt in the book, basically, that you don't see much of. Yeah, and and you know that sequence you mentioned at the end, where we have, you know, the bad guy trying to escape on a on a biplane. Biplane. And then, um, you know, uh, our hero sort of managing to get hold of the the wheel, climb up, and then have a fight, a full on fight, you know, on the wing of the plane, which is absolutely crazy you know um it really was it was, it was just so well done um yeah and the, and the thing is with that you know that's another example of something you only see in you know it's it's only like um tom cruise wants to do hanging off of a plane on, mm. on a mission impossible movie you know they you won't get it they won't do it on low budget films well that's right nowadays yeah. it's uh, uh, this is what made pm entertainment special yeah absolutely so so this is available on amazon prime um, and we we heartily recommend it because it's a very good print of the film, as well. Uh, it, look, it looks very good. The yeah, it just 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 try it out. Um, you'd be really surprised at the quality of the action. Um, you really will. The the shootouts can you know they go on a bit long and the, you know loads and loads of guys get shot. Um, but you know obviously Goddard is just he's bulletproof as usual. But uh, no, it's just very very well done. Really enjoyed it. Well, one other scene I wanted to flag up was, although uh, you know clearly John Woo had been around for a while at this mm. point, yeah. But there's a scene towards the end which, although it's you know clearly got the hard-boiled sort of element, mm. to me it was really close to the in the, one of the most famous scenes in the Matrix where uh, Neo and 
uh, Trinity walk into the building and have the big shootout. It was basically a cheaper version of that scene. It was so similar. And I don't know if they copied that. I don't think they've necessarily copied it from this, but it was just this might have, I don't know if this copied it from something else. It might have been quite close to something in hard boiled. I don't know, but it was so similar. I was quite, I was really struck by that. I mean, she looked, they're wearing sunglasses and the long coats and he yeah. hides the gun and then he reveals it and they have the big, you know, it's the same. Mm, it's the same fun. scene. Yeah. Uh, I, so that was, I thought that was really interesting. And this was like nine, this was three years before three years, The yeah. Matrix. Uh, yeah. So hopefully, I mean, I, I don't know if there are any other PM Entertainment films knocking around on Amazon, but um, definitely going to sort of try and. Yeah, there definitely are. Yeah. There's a few because I've got to catch up with them myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I need, to, need to catch up on some Gary Daniels stuff, I think. That's for sure. I never thought I'd enjoy an action movie with C. Thomas Howell. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, he, made, he had his break with um, The Hitcher back in the day, um, but then he sort of made a load of sort of not very good films after that and then sort of, you know, straight to DVD basically. But, um, but these days he's directing stuff for the asylum and stuff yeah, like that, isn't that's it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, good on him. But yeah, he was a he was a big star back in the uh, back in the, what the early to mid eighties, yeah, right, yeah. mm-hmm. big time uh, teen idol. Um, this was this is quite a different kind of role for him, you know. And uh, I wasn't entirely convinced, you know. It's, it's a bit of a it's a bit like when Judd Nelson started turning up in, in these thrillers <laughs> yeah. and stuff. It's just, I never quite bought it, but you know, uh, yeah. Very good movie. Check it out. Absolutely. Check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. We heartily recommend it. And that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Rich for joining me, despite me forgetting to introduce him at the beginning of the show. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.